Hi there all, Paul Mackey, and I'm an idiot. I put out an episode that missed a few edits yesterday, but that's not all. I'm a veteran podcaster who started making podcast content in 2006 and has one completed podcast and two currently running podcasts. However, I don't really know all the guts of getting a podcast rolling. In my outro, I say this is produced in association with Quadruple Z. I'm sure many of you know Tabith Grace Chalice, Tabs, who runs Quadruple Z. Well, last night, Tabs did backtracking through the feed info for this show in order to get Apple to list it. I just wanted to say a big thank you to Tabs for all the help in getting this new show launched and the extra work getting it listed. I believe now Apple Podcasts and any software that uses Apple's directories, like Overcast, will display my show if someone searches for it. I went to Pocket Casts and Spotify to list it as well. You know, there's probably characters in the Really Big Things universe who would have already agreed, but in the last episode, Jeremy was revealed to have something significantly wrong with him. He knocked empath and sensitive Suzette out just by speaking with her. Meanwhile, Jeremy warned off his pursuers and convinced Chris the next destination should be Wyckoff, Minnesota, even though there was no big thing there, just a building full of stuff. Let's look inside Ed. No, let's look inside Ed's museum. Big Things, a serial by Paul Mackey, episode 10, Ed's Museum. Jack drummed his fingers nervously on the steering wheel as he drove. He glanced nervously at Eric, who was stone-faced, scowling out at the passing scenery. Then Jack reached up and twisted the rearview mirror down until he could just glimpse Suzette's right arm, motionless as she remained prone and unconscious in the back seat. With a worried frown, he moved the mirror back to its original position and focused on the interstate ahead. Chris pulled the car into the angle parking in front of Ed's museum in Wyckoff. Through the front window, it looked a bit like a general store out of the movies. Chris sighed. All right, Jeremy. I can't figure out why you wanted to see this, but here we are. They got out of the car. Chris stretched and winced. His muscles were knotted and tense, the product of a long day at the wheel. Well, you'd better get in there. They probably want to close up for the day. I'm going to take a walk over to the shortstop and see how much they can gouge me for some batteries. Jeremy turned and walked to the front door of the store. You're welcome, said Chris under his breath. Left, said Suzette. Jack blinked, and Eric turned to look at her. Suzette was still prone with her eyes closed. You want us to turn left? asked Eric. I don't want you to do anything, but they're not far away and to the left. Take the next left, said Eric. Jeremy leaned over and peered at a baby food jar partly filled with small, round, grayish rocks. Gall stones. Jeremy looked up with a start. An older woman was standing next to him. She patted a sign identifying the pebbles as a collection of Ed's gall stones. Jeremy nodded as politely as he could then turned and headed for the door to the basement. We thought you might have, uh, left us for good, said Jack. No such luck. Suzette sat up, trying out living life vertically again on a tentative basis. Thanks for helping us follow them, said Eric. I'm doing no such thing, just saying where they are. They passed a sign for Wyckoff. They're in Wyckoff. Jeremy squinted in the dimmer light of the basement. It was roughly furnished, with massive shelves and a musty odor. He passed a decrepit water heater and shelf after shelf of various 
stuff was the only appropriate word. He wasn't sure what he was looking for. Here's every issue of Life magazine from the 50s through the 80s. Jeremy was pretty sure that wasn't what he was looking for. The old woman seemed to be determined to give him a tour whether Jeremy asked for one or not. She began noisily opening a folded step ladder. Jeremy opened a small door and blinked for a moment at the brilliant light that poured out. He squinted and tried to make sense of what he saw. Endless drifts of snow, the sun high above. There seemed, just before him, to be a field of gray like a thick curtain that wasn't quite there. He reached out tentatively to touch it. Behind him, the old woman continued obliviously. Ed's cat died in 1986. Suddenly, directly before Jeremy in the snow, stood the violet-eyed blonde woman. Jeremy stepped through the veil of gray with a brief tingling numbness. The blonde stared directly at him with her luminous eyes, a sort of pleased look crossing her features. She brought her hand up and her fingertips grazed Jeremy's cheek, bitter cold yet vividly electric touch, crackling almost audibly. The best bad feeling Jeremy had ever experienced. He shuddered and ejaculated in his pants. Her hand continued to brush and caress his skin slowly up his cheek. Now the crackling energy was palpable, popping against Jeremy's skin as she stroked gently up through his hair to the top of his head. She groaned in the back of her throat. At the same time, very far away, the old woman was saying, Now, see if you can guess what's in this box. Jack pulled in next to the other car. He began to turn to speak to Suzette when suddenly the entire building turned a hazy gray, like someone had replaced it with a giant black and white photo of itself. Fuck, 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 articulated Eric as he swept directly through the car door and into the grayness before them. Eric ran full force into a glass cabinet before remembering he would have form in the distortion. The glass shattered into a spongy cloud of fragments, and Eric pulled his hands away moments before the shards raced to the bottom of the case faster than he could blink. He took a deep breath and proceeded carefully to the stairs, mind racing about how the hell he'd close the bubble. So fucking huge this time. At the bottom of the stairs, fading in and out of hearing, was the crackling Eric both expected and dreaded. Directly in front of him was a massive water heater, and next to it a woman on a stepladder. Dead, of course. She wasn't made for conditions like these, or prepped for them. Eric stooped and picked up an enormous rusty wrench. He lifted it high over his head and put all his weight behind his swing, smashing the gas line feeding the water heater open. The gas flowed unpredictably in the distortion, in a single breath alternately dizzyingly strong and not yet present. Eric remembered the last drained man he had to deal with, the crackling bone-white hand atop desiccated flesh, crumbling away and stark white eyes impossibly alive in the skull, silently pleading, Kill me. Kill me. Kill me. He steeled himself, then rounded the corner. In the shortstop, someone burst through the door. Something's happening down at the museum. Chris sighed, put down the batteries, and went to the door. Eric stood and blinked for a moment. Instead of a dried-out husk, Jeremy stood blissfully, eyes closed, in a big dreamy grin. The purple eye, on the other hand, was far from happy. From mid-torso outward, the arm connected to Jeremy's head was coal-black, with great crackling sparks of energy coursing up off Jeremy's scalp and down the arm. The head was turning black as well, the blonde hair was smoking, and out of the blackened eye sockets glowed purple eyes. The creature was jerking back and forth, trying to break free, but its feet were fused to the ground, and the hand was fused to Jeremy's scalp. 
Eric moved close to the purple eye. Didn't see you were plugging into 220, huh? Then he turned to face Jeremy. And just what the fuck are you? Eric stared at Jeremy's face a moment longer, then shrugged, and put Jeremy over his shoulder in a fireman's carry. He'd only get one shot at this while the distortion equalized. A dizzying cloud of natural gas flowed in, then away, then back again. Eric jammed a fist upward at the blackened arm connected to Jeremy's head. It shattered into three pieces, and a blinding arc of energy crossed the open gaps of the arm. And then the gas ignited. You have been listening to Really Big Things by Paul Mackey. Suzette was read by Darcy Zeppernick. Music is Chronodermis by Nanochrist. Look them up at www.nanochrist.com. Please send comments and feedback to reallybigthings at gmail.com. First off, I'll say the voice was that of Chris Mayo. It's too bad her character didn't make it out alive, but there are a few who can survive a spatiotemporal anomaly such as the one described here. Speaking of descriptions, I used examples I've actually heard of, though I've never actually made the trip to Wyckoff myself. I just double-checked to verify I'm not crazy, in regards to Ed's museum, anyhow. The gallstones, the dead cat, the magazines... Actually, the source I found says TV Guide, but it's possible there's both Life and TV Guide in there. I did not search extensively. This episode got a bit more intense in descriptions between the ebb and flow of space-time and Jeremy's purple eyes encounter. There was one line in particular a few listeners found a bit too detailed. I'll let you guess which one. Oh, and I tried a few different numbers, but seven is the optimal number of fucks in a row when used in quick succession. I pass this secret on to you. Keep it safe. All right, on to After the Kiss, next episode of That 80s Show. After the events of last episode, it turns out all ambiguity is gone. Now that Tuesday and Corey have kissed, they can't keep their hands or lips off each other. Sophia starts the director of marketing job at RT's company and rapidly takes charge. Katie's aerobics instructor is a part-time bartender at the club, and in conversation at the club, Roger gets invited to aerobics class. Tuesday and Corey have gelato, and Corey begins to ask where their relationship is going. Tuesday is agitated about the conversation and leaves. Roger shows his moves off at aerobics, and Katie feels outshone. RT offers Sophia a raise, but insists he's still the boss, to which she says, for now. Roger won't be going to aerobics with Katie anymore because he'll be teaching his own class. Tuesday didn't want to define a relationship and then bring in expectations to be broken. Margaret convinces her that Corey is a nice guy, and Corey and Tuesday settle on an agreement to make the relationship mostly about making out, and just a little bit of talking. Uh, high point, the episode seems to strike the right balance of character plot and 80s elements. This is what I was looking to happen on a regular basis for the show. The low point, it was a little inexplicable that in the titular after-the-kiss situation, they just continually want to keep kissing, especially as Tuesday seemed at best ambivalent about it in the last episode. I suppose it fits the Xander Cordy model as mentioned last episode. In uh, Who Won, Who Lost, it feels like everyone won in the end. The episode presented conflicts that all seemed to resolve more or less favorably. Is it an anachronism? Gelato was the only thing that seemed odd, but of course the product itself has existed for hundreds of years. 
I tried to get a sense of food trends with gelato, and one source said that it had peaked in the late 90s, while others say it is still up and coming. I personally had only really visited a gelato shop within the last 10 to 15 years or so. I can't say for sure what foods were popular in Southern California in 1984, so we'll go with not an anachronism. What worked? Well, they used a core cast and mixed and matched them with each other. There was a nice balance of timeless plot lines and 80s elements. Why did it suck? I think we're two in a row of did not suck. The next episode is called Double Date. I am not sure if I'm ready to see Tuesday and Corey out with Katie and Owen, so I'd imagine it would be Tuesday and Corey with one of the other characters paired off with somebody new. Happy hunting! You have been listening to the One Idiot's Thoughts on podcast, produced by Paul Mackey in association with QuadrupleZ.com. Theme music is Too Good by Jack Mangan and is used by permission from him. If you would like to hear other podcasts by me, you might try The Ghostlight Podcast, a completed intro cast about the TV series Slings and Arrows, or Idgetcast, an intro cast for the TV series Supernatural. Both can be found on fine podcasting listening software everywhere or at quadruplez.com. Oh